Welcome to You Hear It First, an unofficial, unfiltered history of MTV News. I'm Benjamin Wagner. For much of its 36 years, MTV News was where young people everywhere heard their music, movie, political, and pop culture news first. And from 1996 to 2014, I had a front row seat. Whether covering the latest music video, blockbuster, or presidential campaign, MTV News was a laboratory for experimentation and a place where rules were made to be judiciously broken. These are the stories behind the stories from the people who told the stories. This is season one of You Hear It First. Working for MTV News had its perks. Shows were free, access was granted, and drinks were provided. As a result, more than one of my colleagues over the years forgot what it felt like to be a fan. But one crew had fandom on lock. They were in the mix, building the culture and covering its heroes every night. They lived for the scoop, publishing 24-7 and pioneering constantly. They were first to live streaming and first to social media. And they spearheaded what was once one of the most debated, discussed, and disagreed upon lists in the music industry, hottest MCs. Their ranking for this annual crowning of the hottest MC of the game was based on data, sure, and it was based on a fierce, passionate discussion amongst the MTV Brain Trust. That Brain Trust, Sway Calloway, Ramon Dukes, Shaheen Reed, Whitney Gale Benta, among others, has gone on to shape the intersection of media, technology, and music at Spotify, Genius, Sirius, and beyond. Few, perhaps more, than Rob Markman. Rob put himself through Hunter College, working in the mailroom of a tween fashion catalog while moonlighting at the New York Post. He hustled his way to XXL and then MTV News. Today, Rob's the VP of Content Strategy at Genius. He built artist relations there before moving on to content strategy across shows, podcasts, and more. But Rob's EGOT odds increased exponentially a few years ago when, short version, he freestyled a few bars on the massively successful Breakfast Club radio show got signed and dropped his well-received debut album, Right to Dream. A few months later, Rob was on stage in front of thousands at Barclays Center in Brooklyn. This week, Rob traces his journey from Flatbush in that Queens mailroom all the way to MTV's Times Square Studios and drops gems about Drake's hottest MC beef, Pusha T's career advice, Killer Mike's mad props, and Kanye's TV. Plus, much, much more. We grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn, and I took a lot of my cues from my older brother and my older sister. You know, they were the barometer of cool, you know, just seeing my brother come home, whatever he was coming home with, whether it was the Adidas tracksuit or a Sherlin jacket. It was just the epitome of cool, like, and, and, you know, seeing the girl that my brother was dating. And then it boiled down to also the music he was listening to. So I, I just wanted to do everything like my older brother was doing. Yeah. And that was like my introduction into hip hop. That was my introduction into music and probably culture before I was allowed to go outside. It, it was just watching my brother get dressed and get ready to go out on a date or just go hang out with his friends. And then watching them when they came home, you know, him and his friends and the things they were talking about and the stories they would tell about the places they visited. Yeah. That was kind of the beginning for me. My sister, if she wanted to go out, she had to take me out. It was the rule in the house and 
she never liked that. So I, I was like the annoying little brother. Nobody really sat me down and taught me anything, you know, in that sense. Uh, a lot of it I learned just picking up watching them. EPMD was, was somebody that he was a big fan of and Red Man, Run DMC, Ice Cube, like NWA, like all that type of stuff. And I, I just assumed I wasn't allowed to listen to the music based off of the content. I didn't think my parents would really approve of it. Right. And then when, when I got to a certain age, I realized my mom didn't care. My mom was listening to Biggie like I was listening to Biggie. Uh, yeah, so, also, growing up in Brooklyn, growing up in New York City, I don't think there was anything else to listen to. Like, hip hop was all around. It was the most exciting thing ever. How did it occur to you that you had a gift of words? I mean, it probably started with school in, in terms of, I was never great at math. I always kind of like struggled at math. I always excelled in English. I was always like a good writer, writing papers or essays or poems or little assignments you get when you were a kid. You know, I used to sit in my bedroom pretty early on. And it, I mean, it just started listening to my favorite rap songs and writing the lyrics out. That's how I started. It was just like, oh, I love this song. Let me write out these lyrics to Nice and Smooth or these Slick Rick lyrics. And it went from that, from being in my bedroom to like, okay, let me write my own lyrics in this flow and we, we take the flow and the cadence of whatever song was popular and go back to the school the next day in the schoolyard and make up our own words like an LL Cool J song, me and my boy Lou mm-hmm. and me and my boy Melvin, we just be in the schoolyard rapping LL Cool J but substituting our own words for it. So I probably started there. So if I was really paying attention back in the MTV News days, I would have known that you were making music on the side. When we were working together at MTV, I was making music in my basement and home after work, but nobody would hear it. What happened was, prior to me being at MTV, I was at XXL Magazine, and it was tough. And I was at XXL, and I was doing my job, working hard. I didn't put nothing ahead of the job, but I, I still did my music, and my music started ending up on a bunch of blogs, like Two Dope Boys and Now Right and On Smash, and people started to take notice. And it was weird because I was upfront about it. I wasn't hiding it. Like, yeah, I, I didn't see anything wrong. But it came to my attention that some of the higher-ups at XXL have felt that it, w- it was a conflict of interest and that it, it was just wasn't a good look. And in a roundabout way, I was asked to stop it. Like, I got a phone call from somebody, like, at midnight, like, listen, man, they're thinking about putting you on the chopping block behind this thing. I'm, I'm trying to protect you from it, but I, I don't think... I can because the person who called me is somebody who I trusted and whatever, but he had one foot in and one foot out. So his word can only go so far. He was like, I'm afraid of what they might do to you. Just watch it back and be careful. Um, I think they're going to try to fire you. I was hurt because I was like, damn, I'm not hurting nobody. I'm just doing what I love. And look, I'm no dummy. I understand how it could become a conflict of interest, but I I felt like, damn, I was putting in the work that I was putting in that anybody who knew me or saw my work knew where I stood and, and knew how I handled myself. Short story is I put it up. I said, listen, man, I can't jeopardize. I have two sons. I can't jeopardize keeping a roof over their head and, and, and putting food on the table because I wanted to rap and make music. And actually, I still rap and make music. I could just do it in my basement. It doesn't have to be out. So by the time I got to MTV, you know, it wasn't like I was actively doing it. It was kind of something I would do and I might make a song and I'll send it to my friends or do a freestyle, send it to my friends or keep it for myself. But it wasn't nothing that I was like shining. Yeah. Right on. Let's go back to Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. I went to college to, to Hunter college. Yeah. And, and were you clear at that point, like writing and journalism, or were you still kind of poking around? 
I was just trying to find my way when I was a college student, you know, graduated from Brooklyn Tech and so many of my friends went away to school, you know, even going to a SUNY at that time, like State College and going to Syracuse or something like that. So many of my, my friends went away and I just never could really picture myself outside of the city. So I went yeah. to a CUNY school and Hunter is a great school, but you know, you don't, you don't leave the city. You don't really get like the college experience, but I went to Hunter and basically at first I wasn't even going to go to college. And I tried to play that thing with my dad. Like, yo, I think I might take a year off to do this music thing and, and just kind of find myself. At that point I was in high school. I was doing music. I had just started going to the studio at like 17 and he was like, nah, if you're going to live under my roof, you're going to go to school. So I was like, all right. And I ended up getting a job where I worked in the call center. I then got promoted to, to a mailroom. By the time I was 18, I moved out like on my own. Yeah. Like I, I was just like, okay, I want to be in my home. And I moved out and I worked my way through college. You know what I'm saying? Hunter was cool because it, it was affordable. If you were in the city, it wasn't like I emerged from college with this huge debt. Yeah. But you know, I, I paid for myself. I was working myself. I, ha- I had an apartment and I was kind of putting myself through college. So it took me a little longer. I, it definitely took me more than four years. My degree was in media studies. And it was funny. I, I did it because I, I was really kind of fascinated by the media, but I never thought I could make a career. I, I really picked it because I didn't know what else to choose. Actually, when I was in high school, my high school had majors too. And my my major in high school was media studies. Ah. Also, I, I wasn't the greatest high school student and the media program in my high school at the time was where you went when none of the other majors wanted you. There was like engineering and biology and all this stuff. And nobody wanted to be in the media program. I, I actually enjoyed it, but also my grades sucked. So it wasn't like I had much of a choice. So it was just something that I enjoyed to do. But I, honestly, I never envisioned myself being like a journalist full time. I didn't think there was a space for me. I, I, I didn't think I could make it happen. And actually, while I was in college, I took journalism courses within my media major. And um, me and the professor clashed all the time. And I was probably a C student in, in the journalism classes that I took. And my professor was tough. I, I, I think he might have told me, too, like he never thought that I would make it. What was the journey from Hunter to XXL? I was in Hunter. And again, I'm, I'm working in the mailroom and I'm putting myself through college. It took me about five years to graduate. So I graduate. And during that first year, I'm working in the mailroom. I have a, a college degree. I have a BA and I really had no prospects. And I have my first son on the way and, and it just didn't happen for me right away. And, you know, I used to get made fun of for working in the mailroom, for being like a college degree and working in the mailroom. And the thing was, I knew I could write. So I worked in the mailroom and I worked for a company called Delia's, which was a clothing catalog. Yeah. yeah. So first what I tried to do, cause I knew I could write, and I didn't want to do the mailroom anymore. I, I tried to convince them to hire me to shift me to another department where I could write the copy for the catalog, which to me was easy. I was like, yo, it's 100% cotton, five pockets, denim. Like it didn't require much thought or creativity. I'm like, I could absolutely do this. And they just didn't see it. They was just like, nah, just stay in the mailroom. You're good in the mailroom. I had a friend, uh, it's still a friend, one of my good friends that I went to high school and to college with, Tim Hotep. He had started working at Complex Magazine when they would just print and when they had just started and he needed somebody to write an album review for him. And he called me cause he knew I could write and he knew I knew a, a shit ton about hip hop. And that was my first freelance gig was for complex. And I did two album reviews for complex. And then I got an album review and vibe. And then the source called me and said, Hey, we saw your name. Would you like to write for us? So while I was working in the mailroom, 
I was getting freelance gigs, writing album reviews for all the top hip hop and music magazines. Once I got my freelance gigs going, there was a stint where I was writing for the New York Post. They used to have a section, I don't know if they still have it, called Tempo, which is um, geared towards um, Latinos in New York. So it was about Latin culture in New York. So I was writing for Tempo in the New York Post. And, but I was still trying to get that job to go from the mailroom to go to the, the copy position to write for the catalog. And one day, one of the higher-ups had told me, yo, just stay in the mailroom. Like, you do the mailroom so well. Like, that, that's you right there. Like, and I, I was like, yo, but I really believe I could write. No, no, no. But the mailroom, man, like, you're just great. And I was like, yeah, you're right. But um, I see the post over there on your desk. You Check out page 53 because I just wrote something in it. So I'm good enough for the post. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that was like my little way of, of stunting on them. But yeah, you, I definitely hit roadblocks. And there were days when you felt down, but I never ultimately let it change how I felt about my own potential. Where do you think that voice comes from or, or that initiative? You just keep moving forward. And, and, and it's not in a disruptive or like sharp elbowed manner. You do it with so much respect, but you just keep moving forward. I've refined that voice over time, but I think it's how I grew up. It's just growing up in New York and growing up in Brooklyn. Like I've seen a lot of my friends not make it. Yeah. Through circumstances that just weren't in their control, wrong place, wrong time. You know, I, um, when I grew up, my brother that, that I told you about that was so cool and I wanted to do everything with, um, you know, got arrested and caught a serious charge and had to um, do prison time. That's when I started to change a little bit and, and was like, oh, wow, like, it's a cold world out here. Yeah. Like, and, and if you kind of make the wrong moves and if you're not moving forward and then and, and, and you can get caught up. And I've had a cousin who was murdered, like, behind, like, street activity. My best friend's brother, who was the DJ in our neighborhood, was murdered when we were about 12 years old. So that kind of tragedy had a profound effect. And the reason why I probably moved out at 18 was I, I knew that I didn't want to be in the same neighborhood that I grew up in forever. Right. I love my neighborhood. I love, yeah. I, I cherish it. I wouldn't change it. But I didn't want to be stuck there for the rest of my life. I, I wanted to, to keep moving. And I think it starts with that. And then when you just set a goal, it's just accomplishing it. I just hate feeling like if I'm not winning, or I hate taking an L. So it's like, man, I'm going to adjust my game to, to turn that L into a W and, and, not let anybody push off their negativity on me to the fact that where it affects what I think about myself. Is that something you get from one of your folks or is that self-driven or? I've watched my dad go through ups and downs. Whether he was at his highest or his lowest, he always did whatever he had to do for his family. Gotcha. I watched my dad. My dad, when I was younger, worked two jobs. He worked a day job and he worked overnight. But somehow he was always around. So when I came home after school, he would come home a little while after me and take us to play basketball, come out back, have dinner, and then go to his next job. And then when I wake up in the morning, my dad is there ready to take me to the bus stop. So I just seen him do whatever he had to do just to take care of his family. And then my mom is pretty tough. My mom just didn't take shit from anybody. Like, you couldn't tell my mom anything about herself, but she'll, she'll probably curse you out. I'm, I'm probably a lot more respectful than my mom is in handling situations when somebody gets in her way. But the attitude is, is just like, yo, you're not going to let anybody deter That's you. Right. You know, a lot of the music, too, comes from that, too. Um, on my mother's side, my great uncle's name was Willie Bobo. This is my grandmother's brother. 
is a pretty accomplished and well-known Latin jazz musician in his day. And, and he passed when I was about three years old. But there's always been pictures of him in the house. And his son, Eric, is a part of Cypress Hill, the rap group Cypress Hill. Okay. So we've always had like musical people in our family. And, and, and that comes a lot from my mother's side. Gotcha. So it was something you could imagine and visualize. It wasn't an abstraction. For me, man, I, I couldn't even conceive of it. It was like all the only place I ever saw was Rolling Stone. Well, you saw it. Yeah, a little bit. And there was still hurdles and stuff like that. Yeah, but no yeah, doubt. and I'm the type, like if, if I see somebody doing something, I'm like, oh, I could do it. Like I remember the feeling, and this is probably more relatable feeling for somebody. I remember taking my driver's test and failing it for the first time and feeling like a failure. And I remember I was walking home and I'm walking down the street and there's just insane amount of traffic. Like you could count the car, literally like hundreds of cars. And I'm like, yo, all these people have their driver's license. Right. I know all of these people aren't smarter than me. I know all of these people aren't better than me. Like it's possible. I could do it. I just got to figure out how to get it done. Let's go to MTV News, man. Let's talk about when the day we met. Like I just remember meeting you and being like, this guy's just fierce. Like this dude just does stuff. He just makes stuff happen. I came to your office. You had looked me up on the internet and you had found a YouTube video that I did. I guess where I was telling the story and shout out to Ramon Dukes. I know he was vouching for me and, and, and bringing me in. And, and I think we needed to get you familiar and get you signed off. And when you took that, you told me that that video kind of cemented it for you. It was something that I said in the video. And I'm sure I talked about working in the mailroom. I remember the day I met you too. The one thing I, I never told you is that um, that time, it was tough for me at XXL. Like I was looking to get out. I just felt underappreciated and verbally abused and unsupported. And, and we had a blow up that I was like, oh shit, I need to find another job because it's stuff even to this day, like things I can't even repeat that was said to me. And then my reaction, I reacted like my mom. Like it ended up being a, a real shouting match. I was like, yo, I need to get a job quickly. And then MTV just kind of came out of nowhere. And two to three weeks after that blow up at my job, when I was like, yo, I got to get out of here, the MTV thing materialized. And it really changed my life, man. Yeah, between Ramon and yourself and, and, and Sway, yeah, I really kind of changed the whole trajectory of my career. I remember at the time, too, I wasn't doing much on camera work. I didn't envision myself. Like, I kind of came there just to write. I think the one thing, the yeah. one property that MTV News had at the time was Hottest MCs. And you, yeah. and you had told me, you and you were like, um, I think we were talking about hip-hop, and obviously I had strong opinions. And he was like, well, you better show up for Hottest MCs because we're going to need that, da 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 and that's why I was like, oh, wow, yeah, there's an on-camera component to this. But it wasn't like a regular thing. And, yeah. and I remember even meeting Sway for the first time. Well, Sway and I had met a little while before that. But we didn't know each other, but really getting to know Sway and MTV, it was maybe my third or fourth day there. And he just comes out. He was like, man, you're going to get an opportunity to be on camera here. I see it for you. I can't tell you when and I can't tell you how. Yeah. All I can tell you is be ready. And when the camera goes on, do not change who you are. The same guy you are right here, be that and, and you're going to be okay. I remember I just came in strictly wanting to write and do a good job writing. And I remember the requirement was that I had to write four new stories a day. And what I did was I, I put the bar above that. I, I remember there were days I would write six or seven. Like yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be satisfied with just writing four stories a day because I felt like I really had to prove myself in that building because it was such hollow ground. I wanted to ask you about hottest MCs now that like 
I don't have to sweat it because you're still in that game, right? Because it was a lot of sweat. When did the heat of that discussion about who was the hottest MT in the game get like uncomfortable? I remember when Drake didn't rate as high as he thought he should have, or maybe we got it wrong. And then he dropped the song um, 5 a.m. in Toronto. And he was like, man, I made the Forbes list. Fuck your list. Yeah. He knew exactly what that was. Like, <laughs> um, I remember one time French Montana didn't make the list. And he had a show the very next day in SOBs. And I, I'm a big French Montana fan. Yeah. And I went to the show. And when I went, walked to the show, people looked at me like, if they saw, like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Like, you can't walk in here after you guys didn't put them on the list. And, and I'm just like, what? Like, I'm a fan. And yeah. I was by myself. Nothing happened. Nobody was disrespectful yeah. or nothing like that. But people really took it. Yeah. He did, you know, obviously the Kanye thing with Sway and Kanye telling Sway, I gave Sway his first TV. Yeah. And, we, and I, I remember that. I remember Kanye didn't place where he wanted to on the hottest MCs. And then he gives an interview to, to DJ Enough at Hot 97 and he starts ranting. He's like, I gave Sway his first TV. So I called Sway like, what is he talking about? Sway was at dinner with somebody. He didn't even know. He was like, he said he gave me his first TV. I thought, I thought he meant that he gave Sway his first TV interview. Yeah. yeah. Like that. Sway was like, no, he literally gave me a TV. He was like, it wasn't my first TV. I had TVs before this, but that Kanye was going to throw out a television. Sway was like, yo, you're throwing that out? I'll just take it. And then Sway was like, oh, I still have the TV. So the next day we brought the TV up to Ratflix and, yeah. and there was a skit about that. So it, it always seems like people kind of reacted to it. And, and But I, I remember the good times too. I remember crowning um, Kendrick Lamar, the hottest MC, after he dropped Good Kid, Mad City. And there was some skepticism around that. And, and that was a dope time because traditionally before then, you know, it was either it was going to be Jay-Z or it was going to be Eminem or, yep. you know, this was a changing of the guard. I remember Nikki being, um, I think she was the first woman hottest MC and, and, and getting the reaction of, of Nicki Minaj. We, we caught her reaction. We were at Houston in the All-Star game and they wouldn't give us an interview. Like nobody in the NBA would help us. And I said, well, listen, if we just walk around the Toyota Center and if I can find Nikki's dressing room, we're going to get that interview just yeah. based on the relationship. And sure enough, walking around so yeah, this that's a literally a door that with a star in it that said Nicki Minaj. <laughs> I said that's it, and um, and nobody approved the interview. And when Nicki saw us in the hallway with the MTV camera and the mic cube and the flag, oh, you guys want an interview? All right, come on. You know, we was able to hustle a lot of stuff. There was a lot of good times that came from that hottest MC. Yeah. By the way, that's just another example, though, right? Like someone else might have been like, well, we don't have the official approval to the interview, whatever. You're like, no, no, no. I'm a reporter. We're going to find the door. We're going to knock on the door. We're going to ask her. Is that, and it was just, I knew who I was in the culture. I knew who Ramon Dukes was. I knew who Sway was. Again, it goes back to what Sway said. When those cameras was off, I am who I am. And so who's going to tell me I can't get an interview? An NBA official? Y'all don't even, like, y'all just here for the day. Right. Y'all just only deal with hip hop when it's convenient. Yeah, for y'all. We're right. in this every day. You know, if Nikki said, nah, hey, I don't feel like doing it. That's respect. And that's cool. And, and there was plenty of times we got told no. But somebody from the culture needs to tell me no. Like yeah. some NBA officials not going to tell me what I can or can't do. I don't yeah. care if this is their event. We're going to figure this out. Hey, it's Benjamin. 
In our post-pandemic world of hybrid work, heightened performance expectations, global unrest, and economic flux, there is a lot to manage, and most of us need all the help we can get. My company, Essential Industries, is a boutique coaching and consulting firm specializing in individual and organizational strategy, communications, and collaboration. If you, your team, or organization need help creating, innovating, communicating, or collaborating effectively, facing uncertainty with competence, or leading meaningful transformation, visit BenjaminWagner.com or email me at BenjaminBWagner at gmail.com right now. I'd love to help. Now back to the show. It just felt like, holy shit, you're in the game. I cried the first time I heard my record on High 97. I performed at Barclays Center and and had my, my, my dad and my mom there and my brother and, you know, my family, my kids, my wife, all of that, just like watching as I performed at Barclays. That, that was probably the biggest WTF moment. Around 2017, right? You put out Right to Dream. What was the path to saying, all right, now is the moment? It was almost by accident. I was making songs in my basement. Um, I would share them with people. I would send them to Sway, see what they think. Um, yeah. Even Logic, the rapper, the artist Logic was a big influence. And he was like, yeah, man, you should do it. And I'd send him tracks and we kind of talk about them. And John Bellion was another one I would send like freestyles to. And, you know, it was just for my homies and, and a couple of artists. But I, I never, um, it was still just a basement thing. Then one day I went to go do an interview with Charlemagne and Angela Yee and DJ Envy over at the Breakfast Club. And it was a moment when Charlemagne had said, Rob, your career is so great. I love how you can be an example for people that they just don't have to be rappers. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, thank God you never used to rap. (laughs) And he laughed and and he was like, right, you never used to rap, right? And then I was stuck there at a moment because I could have lied and just went on with the interview, but I knew this is the Breakfast Club. This is the biggest radio show in the culture. And I, I knew all my friends that I grew up with were watching and they knew the real me. And I was like, and there was no shame in it. I was like, nah, actually I used to rap. Yeah. And so then they said, oh, man, oh, shit, da, 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 kick something. What was your first round? I was like, I don't remember my first round. But, I, you know, whatever, I could kick you something that I wrote last week. Because, again, I'm still actively doing it. It's just a secret. So I kicked the freestyle. I kicked the rhyme that I had wrote about the week before. And they were like, oh, shit, that was actually kind of good. Ah. And that part went a little bit viral. And I remember getting a text from, like, Killer Mike. And Killer Mike is not somebody who I speak too often. We have tons of love and respect from each other and run the jewels, but it's not like we speak every day. He had no reason to hit me up. And Killer Mike saw it and he was like, yo, keep going. I like that. And then, um, you know, I, I hooked up with my friend Hovain, who's now a cinematic music. And he said, yo, I think we can get you like a deal at Empire if you want it. And Empire Distribution came on and, and, and signed a deal and put out, the first project off of just hearing that one acapella freestyle on the breakfast club. I'm big on, you got to dream it first. You got to, you got to see the big picture yeah. and then go get it. So that's what right to dream is about. You got to see it. You got to see where you can be in the picture. But again, man, a lot of people can see it, but they can't fear the steps or do the work or they don't have the skills. Right. So you, you close a lot of those gaps, man. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm not going to say even as a journalist, I knew even when I was in the journalist game and I was writing album reviews for the source and I knew I wasn't the best. I knew there were writers who were better than me. Like I, I, I could name them. Well, I knew what the competition was. But what I told myself was I knew I was good enough 
And then I said, nobody else is going to outwork me. So even right. the, the ones that are better than me, great. God bless them. I'm going to kill them with output. And, and it goes back to even when I was telling you when MTV said, okay, and my job scope was I had to write four stories a day. I said, no, I'm going to write seven because I'm going to outwork everybody and I'm going to earn my keep. When I was at freelancing for the source, they would give me a week to write an album review and I'd turn it in in three days. One of the things that inspired me, and maybe I never told you this and now's the perfect time, but it was you. You invited me to a screening while you were, you're an executive at MTV. You're the boss. You're, you're the guy. And we always had a pretty cool relationship. But we'd be, if we'd be real, you were the guy that people were afraid to walk into his office. You know what I'm saying? Like, didn't want to get on his bad side. Like, you know, That's silly, but I do know. I remember. <laughs> you know, it, just, it comes with the title, right? But you and I always had a, a really cool relationship. 100%. I always felt like it was heartfelt. And yeah, I always felt respected and supported. But you invited me to a screening because you had done the documentary on Mr. Rogers. And it was so dope to me because I was like, oh, he has a whole other passion. I know you did music too. But I was like, he has a whole other passion outside of work, outside of MTV. Yeah. And he did it. And this has nothing to do with MTV. And it's beautiful. That, that was like a moment for me where I saw like, oh, my career could take off professionally. And I don't necessarily have to let go of, of the other creative things that I'm passionate about. You had responsibilities and you had things to deal with that I didn't necessarily see or have to deal with. And a lot of it now that I, as I grow in my career, I see the more corporate side of things. Yeah. There's things that I get. But I, I remember difficult times and, and a lot of times we felt supported, but I remember times that I didn't understand. Like, I, I, you know, I remember being disappointed the year that we couldn't come back and do hottest of seas again was like a real struggle for me and not understanding the relationship between the viewership, sales opportunities, support from the rest of the building, like it, like it was this tricky dance. There were more times where we just agreed and supported each other than anything. And there was definitely times where there were like hard conversations with you that I didn't understand. So it was, it was absolutely a working relationship. But, you know, I cherish it all. What I uh, liked the most, particularly about the era that we were working together is there was a lot of, and this really goes to Dave, I think, a lot of tolerance for trying things. And that's not always true. And I don't think we tried as many things as we could have, because I don't think every one of our colleagues was that interested in trying things. But I know you were. I came into MTV and yeah, yeah, I tried. I came in as the hip hop guy. Yeah. But when I left, guess who I've interviewed? Lady Gaga. Yeah. Katy Perry. Like, like I, I've been, I was put in situations where, where, as well as Kendrick Lamar and, and as yeah. well as rest in peace to Mac Miller, who I love dearly and, and, and bringing him into the building. And, and so we did try a lot of things. Rat Fix, I think, was a revolutionary show for the time, just being an online show and not thinking linear. And I wish we could have gotten more support throughout the building for that. Yeah. But, um, you know, we tried it for a lot of years. It, it hurt when, when it went off the air, but yeah. I cherish that. That experience turned me, again, I came in as a journalist, right? I did a little bit of on camera for that show. I did a little bit of producing on that show, even though it wasn't like in my job description. I did a little bit of booking on that show. Like it just yep. set me up from where I am now. So it was like just having that opportunity was priceless. I wanted to ask a little bit about like, I guess, coping mechanisms, right? How do you move yourself through challenging times? Because you're not a guy who just goes, I give up. I'm going to wallow in self-pity. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I've been there. It might be a day <laughs> where I just like, or a weekend where I'm just like, I'm not doing nothing and things are so tough. But I, I try to snap out of it pretty quickly because 
because I'm not moving forward, I'm definitely not going to get where I'm at. So I'd rather run into the wall to just bust through the wall, even if it hurts, rather than just sit there and, and, and complain about the wall. A lot of it is just through creativity and through writing and stuff like that and surrounding myself with a good support system. And I think one of the things that's kept me grounded is, is, is knowing who I am and knowing what my life is and, and, and making decisions based off of that rather than this perception of who I am or this perception of who I'm supposed to be. You know, friends do that. Your real good friends will, will pull you by your coattails. Yeah. Kind of acting a little bit out of character or moving funny. So, you know, it's just surrounding yourself with loved ones like that. And, and family will do that too, right? Yeah. Keep, you, keep you honest. I was wondering, you know, I, I could be on top of the world with my career by any metric and my wife will keep me, you know, just like, hey, take out the trash. Yeah, you still got to take out the garbage. Right? <laughs> you know and, um, and then the studio helps me. Like, I'm not a person, I'm not against it. I just haven't ventured into therapy. But being able to go into the studio and create something and, and write something and express something in that way is such a stress reliever. I'm never in the studio thinking about, okay, this is going to get this many streams. I need this to get this many streams. I need this person featured on it. I need this person to retweet this. You're attaching yourself to the end result. The most exciting part for me is the process of creation. Everything else is just a bonus. I remember one time um, Pusha T told me that when I had um, been making some strides in, in the music and started getting notoriety, he's like, yo, you know you won already. No matter what this thing streams, no matter what it sells, no matter what happens, you won because moving from a journalist to an artist, at least in the world's eyes, you know, making that transition wasn't supposed to happen. There was no real blueprint for you to do that. And the fact that you did it is the win. Everything else is just a bonus. So live in the bonus. Yeah. And, and it was great advice. And I've been doing that. So I just create with no expectation. You know, the only expectation is to fulfill myself. Mm -hmm. And then anything that comes from it is a bonus. You Hear It First, an unofficial and unfiltered history of MTV News is an essential industries podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and comment wherever you get your podcasts. And visit BenjaminWagner.com for more episodes and information on our creative coaching and consulting services. Until next time, it's a good feeling to know we're lifelong friends.